Now it's not 9.30, but we're going to have a little warm up before the live service starts, okay? Um, in case you've forgotten who I am, because I haven't been here for a very long time, I'm Bronwyn, and I'm going to be helping Stuart with worship leading this morning. So it is absolutely amazing to be in church this morning and see people, but I have got to say what a blessing the live stream has been for us, because we have been travelling, lucky enough to be travelling, and I think we've missed one church service. We've had to stop on top of a hill near Clermont to get the signal, and we had to park up in a little tiny town of Aramac to get the service, and we've been all over the country, but still at church. But nothing's quite like being at church, so it's so good to be here. Just a reminder, in case you were like us and not here last week, we can't sing, stand up to sing, eh? but you know, we, we'll still make a joyful noise, won't we? So these people are allowed because apparently their germs won't reach you down there, but yeah, you can't stand up to sing, unfortunately. What else have I got to remember? Oh, we're going to sing two songs. Somewhere in the middle of that song, the live stream will start. That's more a worry for us than you, but yeah, just so that you're aware. Okay, so, um, and we're going to, st I think that we really need to start with a great couple of great songs of worship and praise. So we're going to sit and sing with our great gusto. Let us sing to the God of salvation and come people of the risen King. And I really want to hear you because I have missed it.
Struggling in the fight For his perfect love will never change And his mercies never cease But follow us through all our days With the certain hope of peace Rejoice, rejoice Thank you very much to Bronwyn and the team for leading us in worship this morning as we gather together to come and praise God. A very special word of welcome if uh, you're visiting with us today. It's fantastic to have you here and we pray that God will bless you as you share in the service. If you're up with family and friends or if you happen to be uh, holidaying in this wonderful part of Australia um, where you are sure you'll never leave once you've been here. It's uh, great to have you with us, and uh, lovely to see all the usual faces as well. Welcome to you. A special word of welcome to those who are watching on our live stream. This is still, our services are being live streamed every Sunday now, and if you've tuned into this, welcome to you, whether you're watching now or listening later on one of the podcasts or uh, one of the live stream channels, it's, uh, it's great to have you with us. If you could still interact with us. Drop a comment in there. Let us know where you're watching from. Use the reaction buttons. If any of you at church want to do that, you're welcome to as well. Luckily, there's no boo reaction <laughs> button, so that's okay. But uh, you can hit the like button and the love button as much as you want to. It, uh, it helps the Facebook feed get noticed across, uh, across the internet. So welcome to you all. It's good to have you with us. I'm going to... <laughs> If my microphone cord allows me, I'm going to light the candle, our fourth Advent candle, which is the candle of love. Today as I light the candle of love, we are reminded that Christ came to love those in this world who the world says are unlovable, who the world has forgotten, the world has shunned and marginalized. We see this as the uh, the good news of his birth is made known to the shepherds, members of society who are definitely not well-loved. And we're reminded today as we focus on spending Christmas together with the shepherds that it is our job to love with Christ's love and to serve those whom Christ calls us to serve. If you have been part of our services 
our whole Advent series has been looking at a Christmas together. We began as a Christmas together with Mary, where we looked at God's will for us, how God calls us and is active within our lives. We then looked at Christmas together with Herod and how God helps us overcome evil in, uh, in different ways that can be so easily uh, disguised in this world. Last week, we looked at Christmas together with others and the importance of connectedness in the body of Christ. And today, we look at God's call on our lives to serve Him as we look at Christmas together with the shepherds. If you have missed any of those services, then please make sure you uh, catch up on Facebook or on our YouTube channel. Um, all of them are there. Listen to a podcast while you're driving and uh, catch up with the series so you will be up to date with where we are. Today, as I said, we look at the topic of love and serving others with love uh, as we look at together with the shepherds. Bronwyn and the team are going to lead us in worship. Thank you, Bronwyn. At Elders the other night when we were having a meeting, Stuart was talking about seeing old and familiar Bible stories in a different light. And this next song I actually picked before he chatted, but, you know, God was obviously with us. And I've loved this song for many years, but until I was looking for the music for this morning's service, I never, ever saw it as a Christmas song. But, of course, it is. The heavens shall declare the glory of his name. All creation bow at the coming of the King. After we sing this song, we'll sing a beautiful hymn, O Come All Ye Faithful. shall declare the glory of his name all creation bow at the coming of the
to work a bit on my soprano voice, but I hope you enjoyed it. it was, uh, <laughs> no, that was Meg, just in case you were confused. Friends, as we uh, continue to worship, let's bow our heads in prayer. We come with hearts that are open, hearts that desire to worship you, O Lord our God. As we listen to the Christmas story in these past weeks, we are reminded of the depth of your love for us. The fact, Lord God, that it is a love that never lets us go. We're reminded of your love for others. A love, Lord, that comes to reach out to those who need your love the most. To those whom the world has forgotten. To those who feel outcast and unloved. You have come for them. You love them with a sacrificial love that, that gives your very life. We pray, Lord God, that as we continue in our worship this morning, we may be conscious of your love that surrounds us, and that we would hear your call upon our lives to love others in the way that we have been loved. That we would be willing, Lord, to be your instruments in this world and your servants, to love others with a love that is sacrificial, with a love that doesn't count the cost to ourselves, with a love, Lord, that puts others first. For that is the example you have set. Heavenly Father, forgive us for those moments when we have not been loving, either to you or to others. Times when we have acted out of selfishness, 
times, Lord, when we have uh, not considered the needs of others as greater than our own. Times, Lord, when we have deliberately chosen to ignore your voice or look away from the opportunities you have given us to share your love and build your kingdom. But we thank you, Lord God, that in you and in your everlasting love is an endless, an endless grace and a boundless redemption. We thank you, Lord God, that forgiveness was bought and won for us on the cross. And that this morning we, we fall into those arms of grace. And we know, Lord God, that our sins are forgiven. And we say thanks be to God. May you be worshipped. May you be praised in these moments. May your name be glorified. May your Holy Spirit speak. May you inspire and strengthen. And may you cause us to build your kingdom. We pray these things in the precious name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who taught us when we pray to say the Lord's Prayer and the words on the screen. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Save us from the time of trial and deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours now and forever. Amen. You can't get up and you can't walk around, but the peace of the Lord be with you. Just look at the person next to you and pass God's peace on to them, please. of Christmas. They were probably composed with children in mind, but I think they speak to everyone, young and old. And this song on that very first Christmas is the Christmas story in a nutshell. Now, I vaguely remember, I think there are some actions to match. I think kings at night or something and babies. And so if you know the actions, please go, ahead, right, go right ahead and do them. I would, but I have trouble playing and doing actions at the same time. Let's um, sing Mary and Joseph go to Bethlehem. Joseph go to Bethlehem, Bethlehem, Bethlehem. Mary and Joseph go to Bethlehem on that very first Christmas. Baby Jesus born that night, born that night, born that night. The baby Jesus born that night on that very first The wise men come to worship him, worship him, worship him. The wise men come to worship him on that very first Christmas. The shepherds told that the king is born, the king is born, the king is born. The shepherds told that the king is born on that very first Christmas. On that very first Christmas, Mary and Joseph go to Bethlehem. 
Baby Jesus born that night, the wise men come to worship him. The shepherds told that the king is born, the angels singing glory to God on that very first Christmas. Hello, changing places. Apparently I'm here to do the kids' talk, but I think it considers all of you in that role. As long as you're zero to 100, you're in. For the last stream, Bonham. Apparently. Sorry. They didn't mention this detail, but we're hello still, people out there in live stream connected. world. We're still connected. We're still connected. Okay. So, since we've been talking about a very special baby these past few weeks and we'll be continuing for a couple of weeks more, I think. I want to have a chat about what happens after babies are born. So settle down, mums. I'm not going to say what happens when babies are born. Now, mums usually get pretty tired after they have babies. You know, babies cry a lot, and they're hungry a lot, and they have smelly bottoms a lot, and they sick up a lot. So lots of times the dad has to let everybody know when the baby has arrived, okay? All the friends and family get very excited about a new baby coming, so everyone is desperate to hear the news. Perhaps you've waited for a baby brother or sister and couldn't wait to hear. Maybe your dad told you before anyone else. What usually happens is a lots of phone calls to nanas and pops and grandmas and granddads, aunties and uncles. Well, you get the idea. Then out goes Facebook and everybody knows. When my grown-up children were born, there wasn't any Facebook or even smartphones. I know. And we put a notice in the newspaper. Well, I just brought this one along. This is the newspaper for when Megan was born. She's one of the singers out here. It's pretty old, isn't it? It's looking, looking pretty yellow, but I thought I'd bring it along and show you what we did in the olden days. I won't say how many years ago. So we put a notice in the newspaper, and then everybody would read that. Um, some people sent cards with photos of the baby on them to all their friends and relatives. But a long, long ago, when many people couldn't read or write, if a very special baby was born, the town crier would stand in the middle of the street and just yell out the news for everyone to hear. If you have a royal baby, like Prince George, the Queen has to know before anybody else, even the grandparents, then, after the family is told, the news is printed on a very special notice that is put up near the gates of Buckingham Palace for all the ordinary people to read. And only then can the news go out to the rest of the world. At Christmas time, we're celebrating the birth of baby Jesus more than 2,000 years ago. Lots of people were expecting the baby with lots of excitement. Just like now, but not because most of them actually knew Mary and Joseph, but because the writers of the Old Testament had told them he would come to earth many hundreds of years before. But hey, how were people supposed to find out about the baby being born way back then? No phones, no emails, no TVs, not many people could read or write, no cameras. Well, God had a great plan in mind. He decided to tell a few people and then told those few people to spread the news far and wide. And just like the ripples of a stone that a stone makes in a pond, the story of Jesus' birth would spread across the land. 
And who did God choose to share the good news with first? Maybe it was the mayor of Bethlehem. Did they even have a mayor? Or someone more important, the most high priest in the temple. Perhaps it was the rich people who lived in fine houses and who had lots of servants that could run around and share the news. No, not any of them. God chose to share the good news with some very humble people, people who didn't have much importance, people who worked a very lowly job out in the fields for days and months on end mining sheep. He chose shepherds. I can't imagine how amazed and excited they must have been to hear the angels and tell and the angels tell them the story and how proud they must have been to know they were first. I hope this Christmas time we can be like the shepherds and be amazed and excited by the news of Jesus' birth. He came to earth as a little baby, just as we did, so that he could be our friend, helper and saviour. Maybe you can be like the shepherds too and share the wonderful news about Jesus with your family and friends far and wide. Let's pray together. Dear God, Thank you that you sent your son Jesus to be our friend here on earth. Thank you that you chose those ordinary shepherds to be the first to hear the news all that time ago because it reminds us that we are all very special in your eyes. Bless us this Christmas, we pray. Amen. Thank you, Bronwyn. Friends, just a, a couple of notices. Um, the Christmas services are up on the screen. That's uh, pretty important to know the times of the Christmas service, Christmas Eve at 6.30, Christmas Day, one service at 7.30. So one service at 7.30 on Christmas Day. That's a big change from last year. And then every Sunday after that until the 24th of January will be summer services at 8.30. So if you could uh, make a note of those, and you'll be getting emails with uh, details for booking into those services and doing the usual procedure, which, uh, which you've all been very patient with and which we're getting very good at. Just as a, an aside, um, I know of a church in Bundaberg that has been checked up on, and so it is important that we keep and we make sure we keep doing all of the correct things not only because they're checking, but because it is the right thing and the thing that keeps us all safe. So thank you for your patience and thank you for your willingness to uh, to and um, in being safe. Then, in another notice, I'd like to ask if Anne would come up here, please, Anne Vorton. Am I still in the shot? I have a very special award to give to Anne. Anne, uh, she's not looking as surprised as she did in the 7.30 because she's already received it once. But uh, <laughs> I didn't buy you two gifts, Anne. It's the same one. But um, Anne, on, uh, on Monday, the 14th of December, was the 40th anniversary of Anne being a lay preacher. And uh, I think that that's absolutely fantastic. We give her a round of applause. <clears throat> And there's a certificate of recognition and a study Bible for you. There are lots of devotional things and little tidbits of in information over there. 
um, for the services. We look forward to you continuing to prepare for the next 40 years. And uh, <laughs> as the church who has been the recipient of some of your messages, we can only say that you've been an absolute blessing, and thank you for your 40 years of faithfulness to God in fulfilling that call. Bless you. I hadn't planned on this, but I do just want to acknowledge uh, something. I know that uh, my Facebook feed was flooded a couple of weeks ago with graduation photos of the Conradi family. How many were you graduating? Three, right? Or two? Two. <laughs> See, didn't even know. So, but I, I know that um, this church has watched you growing up and enjoyed supporting you. It was Marcel and Leandre, right? Who, <laughs> I'll get it in a minute. But as a church, we just want to congratulate you guys on, um, on completing those degrees and um, on taking the next step forward in your life's journey. Congratulations. I know it's very hard work. Certainly when I've done my doctorate, it's uh, been difficult. <laughs> I'm kidding. I don't have a doctorate. Not even close. Um, part of our worship is expressing our love for God and the gifts that we give Him. We have an offertory box at the door of the church. Due to COVID, we can't do the usual offering. If you missed last week's service, we don't take an offering anymore. Um, but there is an offering there if you want to place something in the offertory box, either on your way in or on your way out of church. Uh, that's the way that you can do it. But I would like to just thank you as well for the many who have made the move to online giving and have been contributing to the work of the church faithfully each and every month. It has really been a, a blessing to see that, and we thank you for your faithfulness and for your desire to, uh, to serve God and be committed to Him in that way. In addition to the online giving, there have been many others who have specifically made a trip each week um, or each month to come into the office and to hand in their offering um, at the office. Thank you for doing that. Thank you for your commitment to, to making sure that um, you continue uh, to support the work of the church. And um, we praise God for that faithfulness. Let us bring those offerings to God in prayer. Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you that in the season of giving gifts, we know exactly what a joy it is to give. But specifically, as we give these gifts to you, it is an incredible blessing and privilege to give a gift to the King of Kings, that you count us worthy of an offering to you. And so we pray that you would take the gifts we give, however they have been given, whether online or here in church or in the office, and that you would use them, Lord, to continue the work of this church. But more so than just those gifts, use us. May those gifts represent our lives. And may the things that uh, we offer you, Lord, be a symbol of the offering of our whole selves, so that your love may be shared and your kingdom may be built. In the precious name of Jesus Christ, we pray these things. Amen. Luke chapter 2, verses 8 to 20, is where we find our readings this morning. And predictably, it's the story of the angels telling the shepherds and the shepherds heading off to Bethlehem. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby. 
keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloth and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angel had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby, who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Lord, as we focus on the words of the shepherd, we pray that your Holy Spirit speaks to us and ministers to us, that what is said would touch our hearts, would speak into our lives, and challenge us in our faithfulness. In your name, amen. Thank you to the worship team, to Bronwyn and the team for leading us so far in our worship today. The shepherds are some of my favorite characters in the Christmas story. 
Sunday school teachers the world over are thrilled that this portion of the story is told just the way it is, because it ensures that no child ever gets left out of the Christmas play, no matter how late they may come uh, to the party. There's never any mention in the story of just how many shepherds there were, and there's no mention of how many angels were in the heavenly choir. So no matter how many kids rock up unexpectedly, if you've got a few spare dish towels and some extra pieces of tinsel, you can just keep adding shepherds and angels into the story until your heart's content. But the reason I love the story of the shepherds and the story of the angels isn't because they provide an easy out for Sunday school plays, nor is it because I've actually played the shepherd in that Sunday school play more often than I care to remember. It's because the shepherds reveal to us the true nature of both the person of Jesus and the truth of why he came to earth. They reveal the mission and the message of the whole of the Christmas season. In fact, without the shepherds, we would be robbed of the knowledge of one of the most crucial and important aspects of Jesus' life and ministry. One of the greatest uh, indicators of the reason that he came and why it was so important that he uh, was doing what he was doing. And it's good that we take a few moments to spend Christmas with the shepherds because I think there's often a tendency for us to view the birth of Christ uh, through this lovely romanticized bedtime story or we, we kind of almost start seeing the story as a good coloring, coloring in picture for kids and a, and a nice a romantic-looking setting on a Christmas card. And I think that this has contributed to the fact that in, that in many Christian circles, we miss the point of the coming of Christ. Christ didn't come for the upper crust of society. He didn't come to the wealthy or to the popular, as Bronwyn mentioned in her story. He didn't come to those with power and prestige and to those with status. He came to the poor to the marginalized, to the, to the left out, to the ignored, to the shunned, and to the oppressed. His life and ministry was to reach people who, who felt that they had no hope, people who had been shown very little value by society and people who needed to be lifted into the light and peace of his presence. He came to let them know that they are important, that they are loved and they are treasured. And it's spending Christmas with the shepherds that reminds us of this fact. How do they remind us of this fact? Why is it important? Well, firstly, the shepherds teach us that Christ came to love all people, especially those that the world has forgotten to love. You know, in the time of Jesus, when an emperor was born, one of the things that would happen was there would be poets and orators and singers who would, who would line the halls of the palace and that's where the birth would take place with the most luxurious surroundings and the best possible medical care uh, that would be available. And they would sing songs and they would speak poems and they would say speeches about this new emperor that would, in their minds, declare blessings upon him and upon their reign, upon his reign. They would speak of the prosperity that he would bring and the, and the, the military victories and, the, and, and, and the, the power that would come from the reign of the new emperor. But in the birth of the Savior, the news comes from heaven, not from poets, not from orators, not from singers. 
And it doesn't, as we heard, go to the palace or to the temple courts or to the newspaper editor. It comes to the poor and to the outcast. You see, we have this lovely image of shepherds, partly from those Sunday school plays of dressed in robes and tea towels, but the reality was actually very different. These people were shunned by society. It was the least intelligent of the sons who would have to do this job because it was a terrible job to do. It was a dirty job. It was a monotonous job. It was a thankless job. The people of the cities gave shepherds a very wide berth because they were always ceremonially unclean. How could they possibly not be? They were working with animals, which, in, which involved mess and everything else. The very nature of looking after those animals meant that they couldn't do the ritual washing of hands and all the laws that the Pharisees said you had to adhere to. They couldn't avoid blood when animals were injured and so on. What's more, they didn't smell very good. Sheep don't take a day off for you to go and have a bath somewhere or a nice shower. These were not well-educated men, and they were outcasts. People avoided them. People were afraid of them. People didn't trust them. They, they disliked them. They, they stayed away and shunned them. And they certainly didn't love them. And yet this amazing news, the birth of a Savior is delivered by heavenly angels to these forgotten people. And the angels don't hold back on the news either. Did you notice that, that the shepherds are, in fact, the very first people to be told that it's not just a baby, but that in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. To you, the angel says. This is good news for you. It's a Savior born for you. And then they go on and they say, He is the Messiah. He is the Lord. The very first people to know of the coming of the Messiah, that which had been waited and taught for hundreds of years, the first people God tells are the marginalized, the poor, the outcast, and the oppressed. And yes, Jesus didn't only come for them. We know that he comes for all of us. He came for the good of all humankind, the angels go on to say. We've spent three weeks looking at, at how he's come for us. But in telling the shepherds first, Something unique happens. He elevates their status. He gives them worth. He, he gives them value. He confers his love for them. And he lets them know that in the kingdom of God, they are first on the guest list. How beautiful must that be for them? They are not unimportant. In fact, they get the news first. And he reaches out to them. And they're hurt and lonely and poor and lost and marginalized and outcast state. The angels come to the shepherds. It's interesting that this wasn't a once-off either. The way that uh, the ministry of Jesus pans out, every important event in his life, every important moment where a message is revealed, is revealed to those in society who society would consider less or reject as, as not quite as important. The very first person that Jesus ever tells that he is the Messiah, horror of horrors, is a Samaritan. And the Jews hated the Samaritans. They were barely even human in their eyes. And worse than that, it was a Samaritan woman. How horrific. The Jews had a prayer where they said, I thank you, God, that I'm not a Samaritan, and I thank you, God, that I'm not a woman. 
That was the level of, of, um, of prejudice. A woman only had value if she was attached to a man, either a father or a husband. But that's not how Jesus sees them. That doesn't fly with Jesus. She's the first one to know from his lips that he's the Messiah. The last people to see him alive are the woman. The first people to see him resurrected are the woman. Who does he say the kingdom of heaven belongs to? The children. Who the disciples are saying, get out of here. You should be seen and not heard. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. To these belong the kingdom. And unless you become like them, this kingdom isn't for you. Jesus gives value and honor and prestige to those whom society rejects and counts as less important. So to spend Christmas with the shepherds is to be reminded that there's a race on outside. To spend Christmas with the shepherds is to be reminded that the heart of Jesus rests with those who really need to be loved. In my first church, after I candidated for ministry, we were sent to an indigenous community in the middle of nowhere in South Africa. It really, it really was the middle of nowhere. If you put a, a compass point in the center of South Africa, that's where it was. And I think the only thing there was us and this little community. And the community was very poor. There was no medical facilities to speak of, the bare minimum. There was absolutely no aged care. It was non-existent. And one of my jobs was, after a communion service, I would pack up the elements, the bread and the, and the grape juice, and I would either drive or I would walk to every single shut-in in that community who couldn't get to the church for communion that day. The elderly, the infirm, the sick, I would have to go and give communion to each and every one of them individually. And let me tell you, friends, it took hours, hours. And I'll never forget doing this one day uh, and going to this very elderly lady. She was not well. She was blind. She was deaf. She couldn't walk. Her, her bed was a mat on a, on a cow dung floor of a corrugated iron shack, four pieces of corrugated iron and a corrugated iron roof on top. And because she knew I was coming and she was going to get Holy Communion, this was a, a special moment, she had made sure that her, her family had gotten up early and had dressed her in the official uniform of her women's group called a manano. So she was in her manano uniform. And, uh, and there she sat, I believe, for hours in a uniform waiting for me to arrive to give her communion. When I got to this place, it was so, so hot. You can imagine four pieces of corrugated iron in the blazing heat. It was boiling, it was stuffy, it didn't smell very good at all, and, um, and she was one of the last ones on that list for the day. I was tired, I was irritated, I just wanted to go home. And so I went over to give her communion, and because she was so frail, she didn't put out her hands like uh, we usually do over here, she just sat there and opened her mouth, just like that, with her eyes closed and her mouth open, expecting me to put the wafer onto her tongue. Unfortunately, because she was blind and she couldn't see, uh, as I went forward with my hand and the wafer, so did she. And instead of just getting the wafer, she got uh, a couple of my fingers as well. 
and, uh, and proceeded to, to chomp down on them. Now, it wasn't actually a problem because she didn't have any teeth. So it wasn't particularly sore. It was just really unpleasant. And I sat there for what seemed like forever, trying to get my fingers out of her mouth. And I just remember thinking angrily towards myself and angrily towards God. This can't be happening to me. I remember sitting thinking, I'm in the middle of nowhere. How did I end up here in this shack with my fingers in an old lady's mouth? I thought to myself, I have a calling to go and preach the gospel. I'm supposed to be in a big suburban church. I'm supposed to be building mega churches where hundreds of people are going to confess their sins and come to God and, and, and be converted at, this, at, at my ministry. And instead, here I am wasting my time with this elderly lady literally sucking on my hand. Is this, I remember saying, is this really the best use of my time, Jesus? And in that moment, the story of the forgotten shepherds in a stinking old stable came flooding back to me and almost felt like a physical slap in the face. And I I swear I audibly heard Jesus say, of all of the places you think you should be at this very moment, where do you think I am? And I had to acknowledge that without a doubt, Jesus wasn't building a mega church in some wealthy suburb. He wasn't sitting, he wasn't sitting getting thousands of people to come and confess their sins. Jesus was in a stuffy, corrugated iron shack with a precious lady who the world had forgotten existed, and he was letting her know that his body and blood was shed for her. She was the reason he came. In all honesty, I can say that that was probably the first Christmas that I actually spent time together with the shepherds. It was the first time I really think I took to heart what it meant that it was the lowliest of the low that Jesus came, uh, that the announcement was made to. And I began to understand that he came for the whole world. Of course he did. But he specifically came to reach the poor. He specifically came to elevate the marginalized. He specifically came to love the unlovable who the world had forgotten. And it's the shepherds that teach us this. It's spending time with the shepherds that remind us of that truth. And why is that important? Because it keeps our focus and it, and it reminds us of what Christ is really about and it calls us to serve Him. You know, spending Christmas with the shepherds reminds us of what is truly important in our Christianity. Now, I'm not a person who rallies the troops against the commercialism of Christmas. In fact, to be honest, I, I quite love it. When the, when the Christmas trees and decorations first start appearing in the shops roundabout in June, I, I really enjoy it. And uh, I, I start looking forward to the, the carols that are coming and, the, and, and all of those lovely things. And I do think it's, it's fantastic that even non-Christians and atheists and people of other faiths enjoy a time where, where the world changes significantly in the way that it does things because of the birth of Christ. 
And they may not acknowledge it. Not everybody acknowledges that that's the reason to, to celebrate. But it doesn't take away for me from the fact that were it not for Jesus' birth, the whole world wouldn't be celebrating and putting up lights and singing carols and buying gifts. The downside of that, though, is the fact that very often the focus does fall upon those gifts and upon the shopping and the buying. But I don't think it's just something that is the fault of Christmas. I actually think it's a symptom of the society in which we live. By and large, the, uh, the focus of capitalism is to make as much money as you can, get as much stuff as you can, be as wealthy as you can. That, that is the very definition of capitalism. And Christmas is kind of just the, the cherry on the top of a whole year that's lived in pursuit of the good life. To spend time with the shepherds is to see the emphasis that God places on caring for others. To see the focus that Jesus gives on helping the needy. It keeps our focus not on the things that the world says are important, but the things that God says are important. And our focus shifts from from those sorts of things to the things that Christ wants. We're reminded that, in fact, life isn't about money and status and power, but it's about love and compassion and kindness and care and helpfulness and meeting other people's needs. And sometimes Christianity in general can get this wrong. I was watching a, um, a TV show where an expose was done just this past week, um, just this past week on a couple of mega churches in the United States. And I have spoken before of my um, extreme disagreement with, with churches that teach that, that God's wanting to make you rich and prosperous and, and all that God is concerned with is about, about your needs and your personal wealth. He's not at all concerned with you helping to meet the needs of, of others. Those churches get it very wrong. And I saw an expose this past week, as I was saying, where uh, there were about three mega churches in the United States who were being investigated for claiming pandemic relief funds as a business. They were claiming pandemic relief funds in the millions. And then they used those funds to buy things like private planes uh, and luxury cars for their pastors. Now, we're not in that category. If you don't believe me, have a look in the parking lot. You'll see. But some time with the shepherds does remind us of what's truly important. It does remind us of the kingdom values rather than the earthly treasures. It does remind us of people's lives valued above things or possessions. It reminds us of the fact that our lives are meant to be lived in service to God. And that service comes as we love those who nobody else loves and cares for those who nobody else cares for and give value to those whom sometimes the world has already thrown away. And we look after people who we, we're able to really see the needs that they have. After all, in the only description of Judgment Day that Jesus ever gives, the only place Jesus ever says anything about Judgment Day, he says, I'm going to ask you just this one question. I was hungry, did you feed me? I was naked, did you clothe me? I was sick, did you help me? I was lonely, did you come and visit me? For as much as you did these to the least of these, you've done it to me. 
I once heard a preacher say, when you see someone who's in need, look deeply into their eyes and you'll get the strange, eerie feeling that Jesus is looking back at you. Which brings me to the call to serve. To be together with shepherds ultimately leads us to service. As we look at the fact that Christ came to love all people and reach out to those who had been forgotten, as we're reminded of what's important and the need to keep our focus, it culminates, it all works together to a place where we hear God calling us to serve. And I want to say that I am continually amazed and excited and thrilled by the service that I see happening in this church. The way people in this church see the needs of others and do the best to help them, often going above and beyond, is something that, that warms my heart. It's something that uh, struck both Debbie and I from the very first day that, that we began here. But the call is there for all of us to continue that, to continually seek new ways to serve, for, for, us, for all of us to do it. And it doesn't matter how big or how small we may think it is. God uses those moments when we selflessly offer ourselves to Him to share His love with those in need, to let them know that they are loved in that moment. And whether it's offering a meal or driving someone who needs a lift or shopping for someone or visiting or making a call or serving in Andy's place or any number of moments when you go out of your way to do good for others, you're spending time with the shepherds. You're answering Jesus' call to serve. And when you do, you'll be amazed at what God, what God does with just that little bit of effort. Uh, let me close with a story. I found this story truly inspiring, and it summed up for me what, what Christmas and, and the shepherds are all about. It comes from uh, Tony Campolo, who is a professor at the, uh, was a professor at Eastern University in, in Philadelphia, and uh, he ran a program, he, he, I think it's still running, where part of a degree for, for people is in, in mission, going out and making a difference to the lives of those who really need a difference made. And uh, I'll just, I'll read the story as he writes it, it's the best way to do it. More than two decades ago, some of my students entered into a research project that addressed a simple question. How could a small group of Christians effect micro-social changes in society? Specifically, we designed a plan to bring about social justice in a small country. The country we chose for our study was the Dominican Republic. In the course of the semester, we all became very enthused with the project. Then one day, one of the students said, if this really is such a workable plan, why don't we enact it? Why don't we see what we can do about changing the Dominican Republic? I was almost floored by the prospect, but there was no getting away from the fact that if this was a workable plan, it ought to be enacted. The first step of this so-called Christian revolutionary movement was for us to buy some stock in a large multinational corporation that we believe dominated the economy of the country. Gulf and Western owned hotels and a major resort, along with massive chunks of real estate in the eastern half of the nation. They had also bought out the Puerto Rican Sugar Company and had become the major sugar producer in that part of the country. 
Each of us bought one share of stock in the company, entitling us to go to the next stockholders meeting, which we did. During the meeting, we took turns reading from Scripture and calling Gulf and Western to economic responsibility. We asked them to address the issue of low wages for sugar workers. We pointed out the fact that the company had led the nation to depend more and more on a single crop economy. We complained about the failure of the company to provide education and medical services for the people in the region of the country that they dominated. We expected to be laughed out of the place. That would set us up for the next stage, which would be a more ugly confrontation. But instead, the corporate executives of Gulf and Western were more than ready to listen. What followed over the next several months was a, an array of negotiations, not only with us, but with several other organizations that were committed to improving the economic and social life of the people of the Dominican Republic. One day, the vice president in charge of communication called me to say that he would be making a public announcement about a commitment the corporation had made to help the Dominican Republic people. As he read the press release to me, I was stunned. It outlined a plan whereby the corporation committed itself to work alongside the Mount Sinai Medical Center of New York to create health services in the communities throughout the eastern half of the nation. The corporation was also committed to testing the soil and the land that could be used to produce food for the indigenous corporate population and would be set aside exactly for that purpose. The plan also involved an array of educational programs that included working with us in developing a new university to train teachers, lawyers, nurses, and engineers. There were other dimensions to this plan that were equally impressive. What was amazing was that Gulf and Western followed through on their promises. They spent half a billion dollars on these programs over the next five years, and in the process, brought about radical change in the lives of the people of that region. Here was a case where something of the kingdom of God was realized in history because some corporate executives were willing to respond to the biblical requisites of justice for the poor, for the oppressed, and the marginalized. I think that's an incredible story of how the smaller, a few people buying a single share each ended up in changes of half a billion dollars and who knows how many ripple effects down the line. As we spend time together with the shepherds this Christmas, may the way God treats them remind us how to treat and how to care for and how to love and how to serve those who need it the most. May we hear his calling. May we, may we know the passion that he has for each of those people. And may the kingdom be built in this place. Amen. Let us pray. Lord God, as we have listened to the Christmas story through various different characters so far this Advent season, we've heard from Mary and seen the way you at work in our lives. We've seen Herod and the power you give us to overcome evil. We've looked at the joy of being together with one another and the power of fellowship in the body of Christ. And today, Lord, we see the shepherds through whom you call us to serve, through whom you remind us to love those who, who are desperately in need of love. And so, Lord, today we would ask that you would 
stoke the fires of that call in our lives. Remind us of, of what our lives are about and, and, and the kingdom that can be built. May you open our eyes to the needs of those around us. And Lord, maybe it's not the, the marginalized or the outcast that, that we see first, but wherever there's need, we pray that you would open our hearts, open our spirits, that we would put aside our selfish desires and instead focus on what you want and how we can serve and bring your love to others. For this is why you came. May that ring in our ears, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Our final song for, the, for this morning's service is May Our Homes Be Filled With Dancing. grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God our Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all and with those whom we love this day and forevermore. Amen. Friends, I'm going to be standing at the door. I won't be shaking hands. I will be wearing a mask. I promise I'll be smiling. 
We can bump over elbows if you like. But before you go, uh, Bronwyn's got something just to share with us. Um, during COVID, I'm sure many of you came across a, um, some YouTube, beautiful YouTube videos based on uh, the blessing. It started out in America with um, a group, a church over there who shared, graciously shared it all around the world. And eventually, um, lots of different countries did Zoom um, together, got together through Zoom to produce the blessing in many different ways and languages. I'd like us to learn it here one day, not today. But as you're leaving today, we'll have the Australian version up on the screen so you can have a look and a listen as you're, as you're leaving. But if you've got YouTube at home, I urge you, go home and type in the blessing. There's just so many blessings to be had by listening to this beautiful music. Thank you.